Well, turn in your Bibles, please, to the letter of James. If you want a title for today's message, it's The Life-Giving Word. And we're going to be reading in just a moment from verses 19 through 21. Now, to bring everybody back up to speed with where we are in this James letter. James, so far, has identified himself as the author of this book. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a humble pastor. He doesn't start to indicate to them how he is... um, a wonderful pastor, how he is the brother of Jesus Christ himself, how he is the chairman of the great assembly in Jerusalem. He doesn't say any of those things. He's just a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he identifies who he's writing to, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. These are all people that James pastored when they were in Jerusalem. But they're all people that have been dispersed now through the surrounding areas. They've been persecuted for their faith. Ever since the stoning of Stephen, they're being heavily persecuted. And so the only Christians left in Jerusalem are, in effect, the apostles. All the people have gone and fled. But now as they've got out of the place, they're really struggling. They're refugees, in effect, in Judea and Samaria. And so James loves them and wants to write to them. And so he spends the first 17 verses talking about trials, how they're to consider trials. And he says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers.'" When you meet trials of various kinds, he wants to care for them in the midst of what they're going through. He wants to encourage them. You can consider this pure joy even now. You may not be happy about it in an outward smiley way, but there needs to be an inner peace of soul. Because God will use this for his good, for his glory and your good. God will use these things in your life to mature you, to ever increasingly make you into the person of Jesus Christ. And one day you will bow the knee to him, having finished your race and persevered, and you will receive a laurel wreath and a welcome home. James is a wonderful pastor, and so reminds this flock, albeit that they're dispersed, about what God is doing in their lives, even in the midst of trials, and exhorts them, therefore count it all joy. He's at work. And then from verse 19 through to the end of actually verse 25, he starts to widen the net somewhat to start to talk to them about how they see and perceive the word. This word. He says this to them. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather around your word, We're aware that we gather around a word that has been exhaled by you. These are your words. And so, Lord, would we pay attention then to each word on the page, being aware that you spoke this. You spoke this for our good and your glory. Lord, help us to grasp what you're saying to us through your servant James today. Lord, open our eyes to the glories of what is being done here. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, long before becoming a pastor, 
I wanted to be a civil engineer. And so when I was 18 years old, I left home, went to Cardiff, I moved four hours away, and I pursued civil engineering. I went to university to study civil engineering and really, really liked it. And I was doing all right in it. I enjoyed it. I liked problem solving. I liked trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do to make something happen. And the favorite bit in every lecture, at least for me, was when in different times the lecturer would come in, he would get out um, the big blueprint, and he would roll it out in front of us, and he'd be like, all right, boys, um, We've got to figure out how we would actually build this. And I loved it. I loved it as they put the big blueprint out and you'd be looking at it and thinking, oh my goodness, don't know what we're going to do. This is so exciting. But this is what they want us to build. Absolutely loved it. I loved the blueprints as you saw what the architect wanted you to do. Well, in so many ways, as I've spent time in James this week, so many t- in studying this and in spending time with the Lord in it, I think what we have here is a divine blueprint. A blueprint that has been issued by God himself. And in these particular verses, it is a blueprint that explains to us the way to experience true life. The way to experience true and genuine life in the here and now for us as Christians. See, James knew only too well that Jesus had come to give life and that in abundance. So what he tells us in John 10, chapter, verse 10, give life and that in abundance. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that in abundance. James knows this. He knows that in the here and now as Christians, we can experience forgiveness. We can genuinely experience that joy of knowing as we sang that we're free, free, forever we're free. That our sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. That as God looks at us, he looks at us as sinless, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. James knows that here in the now we can experience redemption. We can know what it is to be restored to the Father. Not only as just people sitting in the back seat, but as adopted sons and daughters. He knows that we can experience that. We can know that God is our Father and functionally in our minds and hearts feel that sense that He is my Father and He watches over me as a child. James knows too well that here in the now we can experience the reality that heaven is going to be our home, that we're going to make it, that we will actually get there and that this isn't our home here on earth, but heaven is our home. A place where we'll be with Jesus for all eternity. And James knows that here in the now, we can experience the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. How do you and I know that we will actually make it? Well, we know it. Because God tells us in the book of Ephesians, not only has he called us before the foundation of the earth, but upon salvation, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing. Keyword, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You will make it because the Holy Spirit will ensure that you make it. He is changing you from one degree of glory into another. What he has started, he will complete. James knows all this. He knows that we can experience in the here and now all these things. He knows that we don't have to wait to heaven before we can genuinely have a personal relationship with God. He knows you can have it right now. You can live in the good of all that the Lord has brought. And he knew you can't earn this. None of us can earn this. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. Do you get it? It's him. 
Of his own will, he did this. He has structured your life in such a way that you would be saved. He has brought about this great salvation in your life. He has fanned it into flame. He has given you the gift of faith and the gift of life. He is the one that brings us forth. James knows that. But James also knows that there are things we can do and indeed must do if we're going to experience this great salvation. If we're going to experience this life that Jesus came to give us, namely life and that in abundance. James knows we can't earn it, but he knows we can experience it. We can experience that personal and particular divine favor of God throughout our lives. Whether we be going through plenty or want, whether we're in abundance or need, he knows that you can live in the good of the gospel. You can live in the good of Jesus Christ. You can live knowing that you have life and that in abundance all the time. Not just in your head, but experientially in your life. Not that that means it's always going to go well for you. Sure, sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. James knows that. He's just told us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He knows living in the personal and particularly divine favor of God does not mean that everything is going to map out as a bed of roses that we think it should. But he also knows you will be under the personal and particular divine favor of God. Whether you have plenty or in want, whether you have abundance or in need, there are things you can do to position yourselves to experience the personal and particular favor of God, the life and that in abundance that he has come to bring you. And so this faithful and wonderful pastor, as he pens this letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, there's something that he wants them to know, something he wants them to really get. He says in verse 19, know this. Listen, church, I want you to know it. And don't just get it in your head. I want you to know it in your hearts. And he wants them to know it because he says, know this, my beloved brothers. That's not a throwaway word. See, to James, being a pastor isn't just a job. James, being a pastor isn't just the way that he pays the bills. To James, being a pastor is a pure privilege and joy. And he deeply cares about these people. And so he wants them to know it because he really loves them. It's a joy to him to be their pastor. And he really cares about them. They're not just numbers or names on a sheet. They're they're people. People that Christ died for and people that he really loves. Now, folks, I'd want you to know, and I'm sure you do know this, but I'd want you to know, as we consider you as a pastoral team, this is how we feel about you. You are beloved by us. We don't just spend time in the office, you know, playing table tennis or hanging out, or I don't know what should we do today, I don't know, let's read a book. We think about and plan and talk and pray for you. And we thank God for all the joy that we have in his presence because of you. I wish sometimes we could record conversations of when Brendan or Patrick or whoever is coming in and just saying, oh, I just had this time with with this lady or this guy in our church. Man, God is all over them. And we're sitting around going, praise God for that. Isn't it a joy to serve these people? We don't do it just because we get paid. We do it because we feel called to it. And it is a privilege and a joy to serve you. James really gets that. He loves this flock. 
And so there's something he wants them to know. There's something he wants them to be sure of. There's something he wants to ensure that is burnt into their hearts because he loves them and he knows this will make a profound difference in their lives. And what he wants them to know is the way to experience true life. Even in the midst of their trial. Even in the midst of their sorrow. The way to experience true life. This would have been life-changing for them. As God opened their eyes to this, it would have no doubt changed their lives. And friends, I trust by the grace of God that it will change our lives as well. That's why it's here. That's why God breathed it out and ensured that it stayed in our text because he wants to bring life to our lives as well. He wants us to experience true life. And so how do we do it? How do we experience this true life? This life and that in abundance that James wants us to be experiencing. How do we position ourselves to experience the personal and particular divine favor of God? We can't earn it, but we can position ourselves to experience it. How do we do it? Well, James tells us. So two points. It's going to be followed by one point next week in Brendan, because there's actually three things that we need to do to experience this true life. But I'm going to look at the first two today and then finish with some closing application. So what do we do? How do we position ourselves to experience this true life? Well, two things we need to do. Here's the first. Number one, we need to be quick to hear. We need to be quick. We need to be leaning in. We need to be ever-present and quick to hear. Stephen Sample In his book, The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership, which I recently heard quoted by C.J. Mahaney, he says this. He says, The average person suffers from three delusions. Delusion number one is that he is a good driver. We have many people in our church that would fit that description. Delusion number two is that he has a good sense of humor. And delusion number three is that he is a good listener. Most people, however, including many leaders, are terrible listeners as they actually think that talking is more important than listening. You know, as I heard that this week, I was amused by the first two and then sort of floored by the third. You know, the first two, yeah, everybody thinks they're a good driver. It's so true, isn't it? You don't speak to anyone and they say, I'm just a rubbish driver. No, everybody's an amazing driver all the time. I could probably be a driving instructor, I'm sure of it. You know, I was just born to drive. You know, everybody thinks they're a good driver. Everybody thinks they've got a sense of humor. I've never met somebody that says, I don't have a sense of humor. Everybody thinks they have a sense of humor. Some people even think they're really very funny. They don't realize that we're actually laughing at them, not with them. You know, and you just, they just tell you that I'm just such a funny person. And you go, yeah. And they think that's funny. And then there are other people who really think they are good listeners. And yet, most people, however, including many leaders, are terrible listeners. Because they think that talking is more important than listening. Man, that's provoking. And that's challenging. But I think it's true. We all tend to default just talking, giving our opinions, giving our perspective. Way quicker than we think of just listening. And what James wants us to know is if we are going to experience true life, if we're going to experience the life that Jesus came to bring us, then we've got to change that. We've got to be quick to hear. This is what he says, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. 
Let every person, listen, every person, each individual, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Well, quick to hear what? Well, he's just told us in verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. In a narrow sense, the word of truth is the gospel. It is Christ and him crucified. But in a broader sense, it is all of the scriptures. It is God-breathed word. And James's point then is, Captain, obvious. We need to be quick to hear the word. Quick to hear. Leaning into the word. Doing all we can to quickly position ourselves to understand and listen to this word. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That makes this book incredible, does it not? If you want to be complete in your life, you want to be whole, you want to be made whole, you want to be mature and understand what to do in all different circumstances, know who God is in all different circumstances, know who you are in all different circumstances, find joy where there's no joy, find encouragement where there's no encouragement, find faith where there's no faith, find peace where there's no peace. Paul tells us it's all in here. It's all in here. Oh, but I don't like reading. Unlucky. It's all in here. It's a book, not a movie. He's written it in here. It is a life-giving book. And we need to be quick to hear it. Really quick to hear it. You know, for these original readers, the dispersion, this would be a, a vital and important instruction for them. Kent Hughes says about it this way in his commentary. He says, our first duty is to be quick to listen. This was particularly important to the Jewish church because apart from the Old Testament, there were no canonical scriptures at this early date. Virtually all communication of the gospel was oral when they met together in their house churches. Thus listening was imperative. Those who were not disciplined in listening ran the risk of spiritual impoverishment. So it is not too dramatic to say that ready listeners gained for themselves a life-giving spiritual advantage. I love that. It is not too dramatic to say that ready listeners gained for themselves a life-giving spiritual advantage. I think it's true. I think it was true then. I think it is true now. Ready listeners to this word give themselves a massive spiritual advantage. Why? Because they position themselves to experience the life that Christ came to give them. They needed to hear this. They had the Old Testament. The New Testament was still being written. So it was just men, teachers that were coming around to houses and orally telling them about these things. And they needed to listen up to James and John and Peter and Paul. They needed to pay careful attention to them. And if they did, they had a spiritual advantage. So James tells them, listen, listen, know this, my beloved brothers. Listen, I love you. Be quick to hear. More than anything else, be quick to hear. Be quick to listen in on this book. And in so challenging this first century flock, 
I think James puts his finger on something that we so desperately need to hear in the church today as well, don't we? We need to hear it. We need to be reminded that we need to be quick to hear the word of God. And we need to be reminded because I think we have pressures on our lives today in a maybe different way than before. And maybe in Sydney there is some uniqueness about what we face. There are challenges to being quick to hear, are there not? We know it's the obvious call on our lives, but there are challenges to that. One challenge would be busyness. As I've said before, however old you are, whatever country you're in, everybody always says, how's your week been? Oh, very busy. Everybody's busy all the time. And we can get used to that frenzy of frantic life all the time as if that's completely normal. And in a sense, it is for us. But we must never use that then as an excuse for failing to listen, failing to hear, failing to stop and be still and know that he is God. Celebrated psychologist Paul Tournier memorably said the following. He said, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. And they are, for the most part, Dialogues of the deaf. Oh, so they are, aren't they? People are so busy, so frenetic, even when they come in running through the door and their wife or their husband is speaking to them, they are so often conversations of the deaf. Because life is so busy and fatigue is playing as such a factor that even when it comes to talking, you're aware that somebody's talking to you and you go, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at some point they realized you are glazed over and you, this is a conversation of the deaf. You're not even taking on board what is happening here. I was really provoked by that and challenged by that. It's something that my kids tell me all the time and I'm trying to grow in. The problem is when you're trying to grow in something and you're actually deaf, it's tricky. So it's taking time. But there's times when they're talking to me and, and, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm a million miles away because my life is frenetic. There's stuff going on. And eventually they'll just go, Dad. Dad, Dad, and he's like waking up from a dream. Ah, yes. Okay, so I'm so sorry. Can you just tell me that again? It's the conversation of the deaf. And some of that is caused by busyness. Life is so frenetic that you're never in one place long enough giving somebody attention long enough. You're always looking over their shoulder thinking about where to move on next. Busyness is a big challenge and a big temptation. And it's a big temptation when it comes to not hearing this word. Because we're so busy. Just got to get on. When James tells us, listen, if you want your life to go well, if you want to experience true life that Jesus came to bring, you've got to be quick to hear. You can't blame that on busyness. You've got to change your life so that you're not busy and so that you can be quick to hear in those moments. Another challenge, as I was thinking about it this week, is social and visual media. I mean, I love social and visual media. But it's a challenge. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TV. Now, television networks have even worked out now that our modern-day attention span is at best brief. It's short. And so they even design sitcoms. I mean, they were in part, part of the reason why we have such a short attention span is because of media. But now they realize that is the case. And so they've changed the way we write adverts, the way we do marketing, the way we and promote sitcoms and even reality TV because attention span is short. 
That's why when you're watching a, a sitcom or whatever it be, you'll often see it's fast-paced and there'll be different camera angles and there'll be things happening all the time because they realise if they don't have that, we won't watch. We'll get bored. So we need things changing all the time. And even when people are speaking, ideally we need lights behind us, we need stuff going on, we need stuff going on the screens, otherwise we won't concentrate. Media people realise that. And it's a challenge. It's as if our minds have been reprogrammed to think in short bursts all the time. Adelaide Stevenson, when he addressed the students at Princeton, said this many years ago. He said, I understand I'm here to speak and you are here to listen. And so let's hope that we both finish at the same time. He was aware that times are changing and you're not used now to listening any length of time. So I'm going to speak and you're going to listen and let's hope we both finish at the same time. Because he's assuming they're going to finish way quicker than he's going to finish talking. My friends, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I think they're all good things. I think they're fine. However, I think they can have a profound dulling effect on our ability to listen. We don't want to spend time in God's word because it's boring. It's just words. There's no lights. There's no adverts. It's not like Facebook. I can't even scroll through it. And so we've reprogrammed our mind and the way we learn to think, gosh, we're just going to need an updated Bible somehow. No. Now, the maker of heaven and earth wrote this, and he ain't changing it. And the choice is ours. Either we realize that this is written differently to media and Facebook and Instagram and then benefit from it, or we just stay immature and put it to the side and say, no, I need 15 seconds. I can't handle more than 15 seconds. You're being lied to by the media in that. You can handle longer than 15 seconds. You don't need lights. You need Jesus. And he's in this book. That's why Facebook never satisfies. I mean, I love McDonald's, but the only problem with McDonald's is you eat it and half an hour later you're really hungry again. Facebook has the same effect, doesn't it? You scroll through it, you spend half an hour on it. Oh, it's good, I feel like I've caught up with the world. And that's great, for about an hour. And then you think, I wonder what's happened. If we plugged in to the Bible as quick as we go to Facebook, we would know the Bible incredibly well. But we don't. We haven't got time. Media lies to us that we can't quite cope with it. Here's the remedy. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, Paul says, Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's the remedy. Don't be duped into the way media helps you to think. Don't be duped by busyness. No, train yourself. If this is important to you, if you understand that God's word brings life and that in abundance, that this is the means to experience in the life that he's given you, then train yourself. Is it going to be hard work? Probably. That's why he says train. It's the same word that we get the word gymnasium from. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be things we're going to do. Are you going to benefit from it? Oh, yes. Your life is going to come alive. But is it going to cost you something to do it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it will. It'll be worth it. But don't just think it's just going to be there. Oh, every morning, look at this. I don't even want to go to Facebook. I just want to read Hebrews. Probably never going to feel that. You're going to have to get up in the morning and say, I need to read Hebrews because I know if I do, I will encounter God and my life will be changed and I will experience the true life that he gave me. What do I want this for? 
My friends, we need to train ourselves to the purpose of godliness. And so James tells us, listen, know this, my beloved brothers. I love you. I'm for you. I want it to go well for you. I want you to experience the life that Jesus Christ has came to bring you. So be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Don't get distracted by busyness. Don't get distracted by social media. Be quick to hear this because this will change your life. And then he goes on in the remainder of those two verses to detail for us two things that we're not to do if indeed, in fact, we are going to be quick to hear. And so he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So what are we not to do? Well, we're not to be, we're to be slow to speak. <laughs> I mean, I read that and I, I just found it amusing because it's not our natural tendency, is it? If we were writing this book, we'd say, listen, know this, my beloved brothers. Be quick to speak and slow to listen because that's how we operate all the days of our lives. I mean, that would be, that would be an accurate and an honest assessment of the way we live. Quick to talk, slow to listen. Quick to offer opinion, slow to dig into the word and to be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak, though, James tells us. Because if we are quick to speak, we will never be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak. There is something, this is something without doubt, that in the ancient world, they really understood. They didn't always apply it, but they did have a lot of sayings that talk into this reality of how we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so Zeno, the Stoic philosopher, said it this way. He said, we have two ears and one mouth, Therefore, we should listen twice as much as we speak. The whole philosophy was listen, you've got two of them and one of these. So, one would assume we're going to need to be twice as quick to listen than we are to actually speak. The rabbis of old would say it even better. They said, men have two ears but one tongue. That they should hear more than they speak. Their ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and to keep it within its proper bounds. I love it. He's given us two ears, so listen up. Be quick to listen. He's given you one mouth and there's teeth in there keeping that tongue under control. I love the way they would say those things and share those things. And in so many ways, James is agreeing with exactly what they're saying. If you want this to go well for you, If you want to experience the true life that God has come to bring you, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick, leaning in to hear. What is the word of God saying about this? Slow to speak, slow to offer our opinion. And slow to anger, he says. Why? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why why anger? Well, because that will never bring about the righteousness that God requires. See, we're all called, called to pursue holiness, aren't we? We're all called to be righteous. Jayapaka says it this way. He says, in reality, holiness is the goal of our redemption. As Christ died in order that we may be justified... So we are justified in order that we may be sanctified and made holy. We're called by the grace of God and for the glory of God to pursue holiness in our lives. That's why at Sovereign Grace we have growth groups. 
where we want to come together, inspired by the Lord and helped by the Lord to put off the old self and be renewed in our mind and put on the new self because we want to work hard at becoming more like Jesus. It's going to take a whole lifetime and more. But we're called to be on that journey. We're called to seek to do all we can to put off the old self and put on the new self. And we need the Lord for that. But we also need grace-motivated effort in that. And so James tells us, listen, be slow to anger. Because if you're quick to anger, you'll never pursue that holiness that you're called to. You'll never be righteous as you're called to. And so be quick to hear. Quick to hear this word. Slow to speak in response to this word and slow to be angry at it. Don't be angry at this word. If there's things we don't understand, things that don't make sense, and let's come and let's humbly ask questions. But let's not go, oh, I can't believe it's saying this. Or even more subtly, don't do that, but instead, like Thomas Jefferson, just cut pieces out and ignore them. Silent aggression. I'm not vocally angry. Live group, oh yeah, I just see it from a different perspective. But behind the scenes, the different perspective is I've totally removed it from my Bible. James is saying, don't do that. Be quick to hear it and slow to speak and slow to anger. And my friends, I want to encourage you as I thought about you all this week. You you are like this. You do a great job of being quick to listen and being slow to speak and slow to anger. I think it's one of the strengths of who you are. You know, I think of the series that we did just a while ago on God's good design. That is some hard yard stuff right there. We're sharing about biblical matter to womanhood and I'm aware of how difficult that is because it goes against culture massively. And yet all the way through that, you are quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And I know a number of you really wrestled with it, but I think you modeled this text. You wanted to be eager to maintain the unity and ask questions and seek to understand how does this work. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think this is, you excel in this. But if James was here, I think he would say to us, listen, sovereign grace, keep doing it then all the more. Not just on a Sunday morning, but in your own lives, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, be quick to listen. Quick to listen to this word. True life comes from being quick to listen. And so if we want to experience the life that Christ came to bring us, we need to be quick to listen. But then there's also a second thing we need to do. Number two, we need to receive the implanted word with meekness. We need to hear it, and then we need to receive it. It says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So that unwillingness to listen, that sinful tongue, that sinful anger, put it away. Have nothing to do with that and instead receive with meekness the implanted word. I love the picture that you get when you see the word implanted. It just reminds me of a farmer. I grew up in a farming community. And it's just that picture of a farmer planting his seeds. He's implanting things. And James is saying, listen, be quick to listen. Be quick to hear God's word. But then be quick to receive it. Because through this reading, God is going to be planting things in your heart. And receive it. Listen to it. Let it grow in you. And do it all with meekness. 
You know, meekness simply means gentle submissiveness. So when we're reading this and when we're listening to God's word, we need to gently submit to it, allow it to take root in our hearts. Not be angry with it, not be ticked off with it. But understand this is God's word. See, what James is explaining to us then time and time again is, listen, if you want it to go well in your life, if you want to be blessed in your life, if you want to experience that personal and particular divine favor of God towards you, then here's what you need to do. You need to be quick to listen to this. And then as you do, you need to bow the knee to this and receive it with meekness. And in effect, like Samuel, say, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak to me. That's the way to true life. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. Sometimes we make Christianity so complicated. And James says, not really. Christ died for your sins. He forgave you and adopted you and redeemed you. He knows that heaven is your home. He wants you to experience all these things. And so here's how you experience. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear this word and then receive it with meekness. That will make a profound difference in your life. You will experience things profoundly different. Why? Because it is able to save your souls. What a huge statement. You see, total salvation in one sense is definitely past, okay? And we'll be clear on that. We are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ in our place. When Jesus Christ said, it is finished, the work of your salvation was finished. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in that moment, boom, completely and utterly saved because of what Jesus has done in the past. So your salvation is indeed past tense. But in another sense, your salvation is future sense. It's still to come. On that day when you will see his face and you will be glorified, you will be made like him. You will be truly made holy and ushered into the heavenly realms. So in one sense, our salvation is all still to come. But in another sense, our salvation is happening right now. It is happening right now where he is making us more and more into the personal work of Jesus Christ. He is making us more and more to experience the new nature that he's given us. He's helping us more and more day by day experience in greater, greater measure the life that Jesus came to bring you. So I think one of the challenges sometimes we have in evangelicalism is we can almost act as if we're constantly suffering all the time. And so that's not to to limit those that are suffering because there are many in this church that are fully suffering. But sometimes we can all act as if we're all suffering all the time And that this life and that in abundance is just me getting through it. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm just getting through it. Just getting through it? It's one of the things I love about Pentecostalism. They don't come to church and go, I'm just getting through it. They go, yes! Jesus is amazing. Look at what he's done for me. I love that passion. I love that zeal. I love that joy. I think in many ways they get it. That Jesus came to give us life and that in abundance. And what James is doing is saying, I want you to experience a bit of that too. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you will be saved. But here and now, he is offering you an opportunity to know him more. To understand you're forgiven more. To experience what it is to be adopted. To experience what it is to know that heaven is your home. 
Things that are worthy of praise, that provoke great joy and provoke peace. He knows we can't earn it. Jesus Christ earned it in our place. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's all him. But he knows we need to position ourselves to experience it. And so he tells us, be quick to listen. Listen, be quick to listen. And then receive with meekness the implanted word. Why? Well, because it's able to save your souls. As you read this, as you spend time with this, with your ears as well as your eyes, you will find joy where there was no joy before. You will find peace where there was no peace before. You will find faith where there was no faith before. You will find hope in the midst of your life where just before there was no hope. You will find perspective where just before you couldn't see what to do for the best. You will find direction in a way that so often we just don't understand what I'm meant to be doing for the Lord. And you'll find encouragement where just maybe there was discouragement before. And as I was preparing for this week, I just think the Lord gave me a vision. And it was just this pastor who was standing at a desk like this and the whole room was dark. Couldn't see anything. It was at best hazy. And then the word of God opened and it was just like a light. Boom. And then I saw us all in our homes as well. Darkened rooms. Getting up. Opening the word, boom, bringing joy and faith and hope and perspective and encouragement into our lives. That's what James is talking about here. This word is alive. It has hands. It has feet. It does not deserve to be on the shelf, dusting away. There's no power in that. The cover doesn't have the power. So when we open it and we're quick to listen to it, and we're eager to accept what he's saying with meekness that it changes our lives and we experience that life and that in abundance that Jesus came to bring us. Is that not incredible? It's all in here. It's all in this book. It's all in what you hold in your hands. It's the life that Jesus came to bring us. And so James pens this letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion and he wants them to know. He wants them to know something because he loves them. And he really, really wants it to go well for them. He feels a distinct privilege and joy to be their pastor. And he really wants them to get it, to know this. He wants them to know them, be quick to hear. Quick to listen to this word. And slow to speak and slow to become angry. And be quick then to receive with meekness the implanted word. And he wants them to get it because he knows this is the way to experience true life. These are the words that are able to save your souls in the here and now. And so he desperately and eagerly wants them to get it. Well, my friends, 2,000 years on, I also want you to get it. I want you to know it. And you are beloved to me. And I really believe this with all my heart that this is the answer for us. And so as your pastor, just in closing, I just want to give some practical application to this to ensure that we can position ourselves to be quick to hear and to ensure that we can, by the grace of God, position ourselves to receive with meekness the implanted word. And so two things. First of all, in private. How do we be quick to hear in private? 
See, that's where most of our work is going to be done, isn't it? If you are just relying on Sunday mornings to be the only time in your week where the Bible is opened, it is not going to go great for you. It won't be enough. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is he. Blessed is the man. What is he doing? Well, he's meditating on the Bible day and night. He's living in line with this word. He he loves it. And if he's meditating on it day and night, he must be at some point in the morning, I would suggest, spending time actually reading it, giving himself things to think about day and night. We have to hear. We have to listen to the word to be able to meditate on it. And it's this meditation that brings about this blessing. So what do we do in private to be quick to hear? A couple of things. Number one, I want to encourage you to make a clear and uncomplicated plan. Those words are deliberate. A clear and uncomplicated plan. They're they're deliberate because if our plans are unclear, we often don't even know how to do it ourselves. And if they're complicated, it never gets off the ground. So just make it clear and uncomplicated. So there's just two questions you've got to work out. When am I going to do it? And where am I going to do it? That's it. That's the plan. When am I going to hear? And where am I going to hear? We all have to figure it out for ourselves when that's going to be. But if we're going to be quick to hear, we've got to come up with a plan. Because if we don't make a plan, I can assure you, the emotion of this message will cause you to go, I'm going to do it. And my next Sunday, you won't have done anything. Because emotion isn't enough. We have to make a plan. We have to be clear, like with everything else in our lives. If we're going to train ourselves for the purpose of God, we've got to think about when. So make a clear and uncomplicated plan. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Work out when and where you can do that. See, in our day and age, I think we're so tempted to say, Lord, I'm still, I'm knowing that you're God, I've got 60 seconds. Anything you want to say? Nope. Okay, quite time done. And we think that's it. What is that? No, we need to find time to be still and know that he's God. So make a clear and uncomplicated plan. Number two, share your plan with others. So work out what your plan is. Tell people. (laughs) Ask other people. Ask other people to encourage you, to hold you accountable, to encourage you along the way. When it comes to consistent Bible reading, a solo sport mentality rarely wins. It just doesn't. Now, particularly if you're going to get, start getting up in the mornings to do it. It's hard. By Wednesday, you'll be done. But if somebody else is calling you at 6 o'clock to see how you're going, you'll get up. We just run better in groups. I know Ben at the minute is, one of the things I know about Ben is he's seeking to grow in his Bible reading. He says, start again at about 5.30 every, every day. I feel sick about that thought. But Ben knows that that's what time he's got to do it. And so he's told us all. And so we're cheering him on. And Brendan's trying to do it exactly as well. And they call each other to make sure it's happening. And you think, well, praise God. Let's run in packs. I'm not saying you should all get up at 5.30. But what I am saying is work out when and where. And then tell people and ask them, can you check in on me? Help me run this. Help me do this, because I want to be quick to hear. I want to be this guy. And then number three, make sure you're reading with your ears and not just your eyes. Having made the plan, having shared it with others, make sure you're reading with your ears 
as well as your eyes. See, Alec Mottier says it this way. He says, by hearing the life-giving word, the energies of the new nature are stimulated into action. Therefore, we must be quick to hear. We might wonder then why the ever-practical New Testament writers do not proceed to outline schemes of daily Bible reading or the like. For surely these are the ways in which we offer a willing ear to the voice of God. But they do not help us in this way. Rather, they go deeper. For there is little point in schemes and times if we have not got an attentive spirit. It is all too possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to have achieved no more than move the bookmark forward. And this is reading unrelated to an attentive spirit. I think he's right. I think we've all done it, haven't we? Where we're reading, and then somebody asks us at the end of a month, how did that reading go? And you go, oh, I read it. I don't know, I don't remember anything. I've got nothing going on. Well, that's reading with our eyes and not our ears. But James says, be quick to listen. We need to read with our eyes and ears. So Psalm 119, I think David says it well, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And 1 Samuel 3, he says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Oh my, when we get up and spend time with the Lord, I think that needs to be our prayer. Lord, I've got up. I'm tired. Oh Lord, help me now. Because I don't just want to move the bookmark forward. I want to hear you. Lord, open my eyes to behold the wonders of your law. Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Lord, help me. Okay, here we go. That's very different to just reading through a novel and pushing the bookmark forward. So read not only with your ears, with your eyes, but with your ears as well. Most of this is going to be done in private. Most of what I'm saying to you. We have to seize that for ourselves and consider what we're going to do. And then secondarily, just in closing, in public. What do we do then in public, in the gathered church? I mean, each and every Sunday we gather as a church like this. How do we ensure that we arrive with an attentive spirit? How do we ensure that we arrive being eager to listen, quick to listen, quick to lean in to what's being shared? Whether that through song, words, or preached words, how can we arrive to ensure that we are quick to listen as to what is taking place? I think there's a few things we can do. Number one, recognize the importance and gift of sleep particularly on a Saturday night. Listen, I don't want to be a killjoy to all parties. I love them, and I go to them. But recognize the importance and gift of sleep, particularly on a Saturday night. Here's why. Because on a Sunday morning, we are going to encounter the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On a Sunday morning, we're going to gather around the throne room of the one that we just preached from in the book of Isaiah. The one whose robe fills the temple. The one whose the seraphim stand behind and cover their faces because of his holiness. He himself says, listen, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I don't want to be arriving on that Sunday morning with sleep in my eyes like, whoa, what's going on? I don't know. I'm just, I need a coffee. I don't want to be doing that when I'm encountering that king. Sleep is a gift. It is a gift from God. It is a means of cultivating humility before God. And given the importance then of Sunday mornings, I appeal to you to utilize it. 
Don't stay up till 2, 3 in the morning randomly chatting and then arrive at church absolutely exhausted because here's what will happen. On that Sunday morning, you won't remember a thing because you will not have cultivated an incentive spirit and you will not be quick to listen. You'll just be tired. And you probably won't hear a thing. Recognize the importance and gift of sleep. Number two, prior to the Sunday morning gathering, prepare your heart. Cultivate your heart. Get ready. I mean, do all you can then. I would encourage you to avoid any unnecessary distractions. (laughs) I have to work really hard on this one myself. It doesn't work to get out of bed on a Sunday and think, oh, this is good, lay in. Okay, Facebook, Instagram. Wonder what's happening in the news, let's check it. Oh, oh my gosh, it's 10 o'clock. Quick, we've all got to get the car, we've got to get it. That's not going to work. You will have your mind filled with 101 other things, but none of them will be Jesus. We need to be quick to cultivate an attentive spirit. And so do all you can to avoid unnecessary distractions. Social media will distract you shocking. It really, really doesn't matter what somebody wants to tweet at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Let them tweet away and find out what they tweeted in the afternoon. I think social media has a distinct ability to dull our senses prior to a Sunday gathering. I do. And I want us to arrive being quick to hear. And so avoid any unnecessary distractions and instead do all you can to prepare your heart to be attentive. So whatever that means for you, whack worship music on. Whatever it means to you on that Sunday morning to be aware, I don't want any distractions. We are going to encounter God. I don't want to be distracted by anything. Let's put music on. Let's read our Bibles. Let's pray. Lord, help me. Open my eyes as I go to gather. Another thing, obviously, would be arrive on time. It's not rocket science. God starts speaking at 10.30. Oh, I arrived at 10.20, running in with my kids. Oh, I've got to get them in. I've got to get them in. Yeah, probably not going to be cultivating an attentive spirit now. Probably not going to be quick to listen either. You're going to be quick to panic, particularly when I'm on the door. Morning! It ain't going to work. Arrive between 10 and 10.15. Not, not because it's like for us, we're just like, hey, we just want everybody here at 10 to 15. No, I want, I, listen, know this, my beloved brothers, I want you to be quick to listen. That's what it means practically. It means arriving early so that we're ready to listen. Do all you can to cultivate an attentive spirit prior to the Sunday morning. And finally, in closing, make sure your Bible gets in the car with you. (laughs) If that's on your phone, that's cool. I would just be careful if it's just on your phone. Because my phone also has Facebook on it, and Instagram, and the soccer scores. And lots of things that I want to do. I have been tempted numerous times when somebody else is preaching when I'm there just to have one little check of the scores. My phone needs to be well away. So make sure your Bible gets in the car with you. Why? Well, because this is the life-giving word. This is the word that will change your life. It's not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's real. So friends, I want to encourage you. Would we be quick to hear and eager to receive with meekness the implanted word. And would we experience then this true life that Christ came to bring us? Amen. Joy where there's no joy. Encouragement where there's no encouragement. Faith where there's no faith. Peace where there's no peace. Would we be slow to speak, slow to anger, but quick to hear? 
Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we do thank you that in your word, you are our delight and our reward. Lord, the reason why you want us in your word is because you want to show us you. You want to show us who you are and how you feel about us and how you think about us and how we're called to live for you. Although, did you help us then go away from this message, not just having seen our faces in the mirror, but freshly motivated to go away and make changes? Why? Because we're blessed in our doing. So Lord, help us apply this. Help us to pursue you. Help us to be quick to listen. And as you then ever increasingly are our vision, would you truly be our delight and reward? In Jesus' name, amen.